Welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager at Basketball Australia. Today's guest is David Herbert, the Centre of Excellence Women's Programs Head Coach. David has over 25 years of experience within the Basketball Australia pathway. He's coached in NBL 1, WNBL, National Junior Championships, and as a national team's head coach. David's received numerous coaching accolades, including WNBL Coach of the Year, Coach of the Year in Victoria and Queensland, and the Siebel Coach of the Year. An illustrious career that's still continuing. David, welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thanks for inviting me on, Neil. I'm excited to hopefully share a little bit of my journey and um, also, I guess, talk about a, a recent trip. Um, I'm sure everyone wants to hear a little bit more about that, the World Cup, where I guess we didn't we didn't perform as well as what we wanted to. And to be honest, one of the more humbling experiences of my coaching career so far. We obviously arranged this pre-World Cup for you to come on and now after World Cup. So I, I'm really looking forward to hearing the whole kind of before and after part of, of that coaching journey. With your overall coaching journey, though, David, I touched on it a little bit. Can you tell the people that are listening, I guess, a little bit about your journey getting to the CEO, COE? Because I'm not sure there's a step in the coaching pathway that you haven't been on. So what are some of the key things that stick out to you as foundational in shaping you into the coach that you are today? Yeah, well, I, I come from a, a little country town called Mall in in the Tri Valley, part of Gippsland, uh, and but the one one of the things there was at at the time basketball was uh, like the the standard of the game, etc. In Mall, uh, we were very fortunate to have uh, the likes of Marty Hansen, uh, Peter Reedy, and a number of Russell Thomas, and a number of uh, state level coaches who were in the town, and um, I guess I grew. Uh, and became passionate about the sport, um, played quite a bit uh, with, with the highest level playing at the uh, Country Cup, I think, for Vic Country. Uh, but, but from there, I think that the passion and, and love of the game grew. And I guess I realised I wasn't the, the quickest uh, player on the, on the planet. And uh, the, the, the skill level and everything like that um, decided to head into coaching. And I guess my pathway began with Vic Country and a guy named Russell Thomas invited me to go as an apprentice coach uh, to one of the tournaments and basically to keep statistics. And uh, I, I went, enjoyed it, and then started in the Vic Country pathway. And uh, I was involved with the intensive training program at that point in time under the guidance of Patrick Hunt. Uh, and I, I guess there I, I learned my craft through Patrick, through Mike McHugh, uh, through Jack Thomas, uh, Jack great mentor of mine uh, and developed a number of, uh, I guess, key concepts around the game. Um, you, you, how to, how to defend, how to run offense and things like that were, were, were staples there. And, and ba the basic fundamentals uh, I learned in that program. And uh, I was put in charge of um, the ITP area or, or group in my area and also in charge of the under 14 Gippsland Regional Academy. And, uh, I think that academy program really taught me the basic fundamentals uh, of, of the game. And I had to learn fast because uh, Jack Thomas threw me in the deep end and said, mate, you're in charge now. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm running camps in front of a lot of older coaches and uh, people that I had to look up to and respect. And one of the things I learned there was um, 
to taking advice from other people. Uh, don't don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to listen and learn. And I, I think that's something that I've continued throughout my my coaching career. From from obviously Gippsland, I moved. I had an opportunity to get involved with Danny Nong in the WNBL uh, as an assistant coach. And as a as a very young coach, it was a uh, it opened my eyes up to that next level. So. I'm going from under 14 academy to involvement in state teams straight into the WNBL, and um, it, what a pathway that was! Like you, you, you're there standing in front of players who are older than you. Um, so initially, uh, a key thing that I learned was to to fit in before I stood out. And often I'd stand on the. I was talking to Sally Phillips, Sally Crow, uh, the other day. Often I'd stand on the baseline and not say a word, and basically take it all in, absorb it. Ask Steve. Steve Barr, who was the head coach at the time, questions, um, talk to the players, and I guess learn my own philosophy amongst all of that. Uh, from from Dandenong, I ended up, and I'd coached a number of uh, junior state teams by that stage with Vic Country. I moved to Townsville to to take up uh, the basketball coach role for North Queensland. So I was traveling from Cairns uh, all the way to Gladstone, and uh, tremendous experience there how to run a high-performance program. Uh, I was lucky, had the backing of the Queensland Academy of Sport at the time, but uh, the the learnings, et cetera, on one, presenting clinics, uh, presenting uh, coach education sessions, uh, player development, uh, really helped me evolve in, into the coach I, I became. And from there, lucky enough to get a, a role with the Townsville Fire as a head coach. Um, and... That's that's really, uh, I, I guess, my my career blossomed from there. And uh, as a young twenty six year old uh, coaching in the WNBL, what an eye opener! I'm I'm coaching against Tom Ma, I'm coaching against Kerry Graff, I'm coaching uh, Gary Fox, uh, a number of those people, and Dan Sterling. Um, to say the lessons learnt there uh, weren't tremendous. It, 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 I'd be kidding myself. Um, I, I always say that I was too young at that point in time. And again, I didn't have the worldly experience and particularly with player management um, to, to handle some of the things that I, that I dealt with at that stage. And um, to, to go through that though, and come out the other side, um, I learned like I, in the second year of the program, I won WNBL coach of the year and um we took the team to the to, to the preliminary final. Um, maybe that happened too fast, and I didn't have again worldly experience behind me to to recruit the players I did and to to manage those players and have a more talented group of players at that point in time. Um, it was was extremely uh, interesting, and the, again learned learned some tremendous lessons. Uh, from there, I ended up in Western Australia. Um, as a high performance coach, coaching WNBL, um, spent six months in Canberra, then up to Cairns, down to Geelong, um, coaching NBL one, uh, high performance coach in a number of areas, and uh, again, as I as I got older, I suppose my knowledge of the game and my my willingness to learn and to listen increased. Uh, and usually, it's the other way around. You you get headstrong and you decide, okay, I'm this is my philosophy. This is what I'm doing, but I've, I've stayed on a journey in terms of learning. And one of the things I'm lucky at the COE is I have uh, Peter Lonigan here each morning talking basketball and each morning I'm learning and listening and, and taking things in. And 
one of the things, again, going away to the recent World Cup, there's so many learnings and it was such a humbling experience to to actually not win that game against Mali. It, it was hugely humbling and uh, the, the lessons learned from that, uh, I'm, I'm still taking it in at this point in time, but the lessons learned from that um, are, are certainly shaping uh, another level of who I want to be as a coach and, and where I need to go from here. So uh, I could pack it in and say, well, that's it. I'm done. Um, ninth was horrible, but now I've got to work harder. Now I've got to a, a build a, a, a stronger and tougher daily training environment here at the COE and, and change, a, change a little bit of that. So that in the future, um, coaches, coaches that go away uh, with national junior teams uh, possibly their team's a little bit better prepared, et cetera. Um, but, but overall, I think my journey, um, one of the things that I would say is you've got to listen, you've got to learn, and you've got to keep evolving each and every day. The minute you stop doing that, it, it, I, I think you remain a good coach while, you're, while you maintain that philosophy. When you stop learning, when you stop listening, uh, that, that's, that's the point where you, you need to think about moving on and, and not doing the role. Uh, basketball, you learn every single day. The coach you are today is because of the coach you were yesterday and the coach you were years and, and years before. And I think it, it's really powerful to hear someone that's had a duration of a career that you've had and ultimately what my wife, my career working in sports, she said, you've never really had a real job. You just wear tracksuits and you go and do coaching and stuff. But it's the the passion of that to drive the continual development and improvement that you talk about through those conversations and through those willingness to not only improve the product on the floor, but the people that you're shaping in your team. What are some of the challenges, I suppose, that keep that coaching hunger and fire burning for you? Like away from results and things like that, like the actual, what what is it that kind of, gets you out of bed on a cold Canberra morning, Herbie, into the gym? I, I think seeing players evolve. I think seeing the daily improvement of individuals uh, and I guess the the impact that you can have on influencing that. And uh, I, I, I'll i go back to uh, some of the results and things like that. that I, th I think when I was a young coach, um, just coming through in the WNBL early on, I, I got to a point where I was like, hang on, I know, I know what I'm doing here. I, my philosophy is fine, blah, blah, blah. And the game evolved without me evolving. And all of a sudden, uh, just little things like different ways to defend on ball screens and things like that. And all of a sudden I was like, hang on, I, I've, I've fallen behind here. And the realization to me was you've got to go out and seek that knowledge. You've got to go out and find um, what's happening in the game. And, an eye opener again was the world cup this year to me. And now I, I have a, I, I come back and went, well, is this for me? Is, is coaching what I want to do? Like I've, I've just probably gone through our, our Mali game was one of the worst um, in terms of performance um, that I could imagine. And I was like in, in two minds, is this time, is this time to, and I've come away from there with more hunger uh, and more fire burning out of my belly than ever, because to, to me, it was like, well, coaching is what I love. Coaching is what I enjoy doing. But I have to make some changes. I have to make sure that the, like, just 
the referee has changed refereeing's changing over the last two years um some different rules in terms of bumping the ball handler and not you you basically can't use your hands at all but you're allowed to use body contact to physically bump and for the handler to bump back and um we had a lot of turnovers because of that and i hadn't prepared for that so um little things like that now are like I came back the first two or three weeks with the kids here was, was straight into more physicality, um, more bumping, more uh, just understanding and exposing the kids to that. What I'm saying, it, it, the next time we go to for Australia, it may not be like that. It may may evolve and change again, but I'm I'm preparing these kids for for what's ahead, and um, I'm I'm just disappointed. I probably didn't know about that rule change prior. Um, but, but again, they're little things that keep the hunger and fire burning because you 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 want to evolve each and every day. Like the way that Spain run mid-on ball and side-on balls, it's it's now um, there's there's patterns involved. They, they're they looking to reject the screen all the time rather than use the screen. If they use the screen, there's a pattern involved. There's a there's a there's movement involved that um, that they're very, very good at. And uh, we I, I need to evolve. Um, teaching point guards and and areas like that. So when when you when you find that you're maybe there's some deficiencies in what you're doing, then it's time to go, okay, how can I fix this? What study do I need to do? How um how can I evolve as a coach again? And and that's what keeps the fire burning with me for sure. Uh, the, again I say it humbling experience going away to World Cup. I've had five trips with Australia and come away with medals every time to come away with a ninth has now given me more hunger and fire to to improve and and evolve as a coach again. Yeah, it's hearing you talk about the changing of the rules. It reminds me of the the Jordan rules and the bad boys and the game constantly ad- adapting around the environment of the players, and then the players improve and figure it out so that everything changes again. So it it's constantly moving within the confines of of the court and but it's never you once you think you've got it cracked something else changes and and the players improve fitness physical tactical technical everything like that we've you've mentioned the world cup and i think we we both knew that that was going to be a kind of theme throughout it so for the coaches listening because there might be some community coaches that maybe aren't as in touch with the um, high performance aspect of the of the teams going away outside of the boomers and the opals and not wanting to give you any PTSD Herbie or have a psychology session here but can you I guess let them in a little bit on how you how you do prepare for going away for an international tournament both as a coach and a team and then obviously you've you've touched on a couple of times what a roller coaster tournament it was from the the highs of like going in with the warm-up games and feeling really good into the group stages and then finishing with the with the run to to finish as as high as you possibly could yeah I, I think if you you look at um again the game evolving the we we had a camp in may unfortunately we had to cancel a a camp prior because of injury illness everything like that and i'm not trying to provide any excuses to this I, I take it on board and it's my result as a coach where we finished is is on me and but if you look at the the preparation we had uh, we we basically arrived and um, the team was together for the first time in Spain uh, we had three two-hour training sessions where I have to push those girls to another level 
um, to even play in the pre-tournament. And um, going through that and then playing three games on top of it, um, then having a day off and straight into the World Cup, what, what I would say is I cooked them. And I don't see any other way of being able to do it. But on top of that, we had a concussion. Um, we, we had a, a, a player coming off glandular fever, uh, a, a shoulder injury. So I, I end up cooking nine players through pre-tournament. And by the time the, the seventh day of the tournament was, or seventh game of the seven games in 10 days, the seventh game was, was Mali. We came off playing France, um, played a 8.45 p.m. game. We then have to turn around and leave for our game at one o'clock the next day against Mali. And I can tell you the girls were physically exhausted. And that's on me as well. Like I, but for me, maybe I should have gone and said, okay, we'll, we'll throw the game against France. We were down 16 or whatever it was in the game. Maybe we throw that and start preparing for our round of 16. But it's not the Australian way. You want to win. You, you want to. So we became, we, I, I believe we, we were one controversial call away from beating France, which would have meant we play Germany. Um, it, it, it spun around. Unfortunately, we had to play Mali, who are an emerging nation. 2019, we, we beat them by around 10. 2021, we played them in the semifinals. 2023, we played them in different circumstances with, with a group um, that was cooked. And maybe I could have rotated more. Absolutely. Maybe I could have done a number of things in that game. But the result stands now, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't go our way. So um, you look at the preparation involved. Um, a lot of the teams had a month together before we played. So uh, it's not an excuse. It's it's just the the way the current system is with the with basketball with the, the basketball right now is we're we're under resourced, and we we have to do as well as what we can in that current environment. Um, Hopefully, the lessons learned from what I've gone through, et cetera, will, will help change that a little. Um, but in saying that, like the, the highs and lows and the, the preparation, we we have to implement offense, defense, all our structures in that, those three sessions that we have. Um, the the camp prior was, was a selection camp. So we're, we're putting in offense, defense, defensive schemes, how we're going to defend on mid on balls, side on balls, various screening actions. And it, it's challenging only having that amount of time to prepare. So um, I, I guess having that time, I, I, I did, I pushed, I pushed, I pushed, and I was stubborn with it. I wanted the girls to be at that next level. And regardless, uh, if I hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have been in a position to, to, um, to do as well as what we did. The pre-tournament, we beat USA. First team, I think, probably in history of under-19 basketball at a World Cup level to beat the USA. Um, so the signs were tremendous. But again, to do that, the energy used um, was, was enormous. And we we then played Spain, who were just so physical. And um, interestingly, and this might interest people out there, the, the, the way that which they scouted, they have a scout on me as the coach. They have a scout on the players. They have a a scout on the plays. They have a scout on the referees. So uh, they look at the referees and go, okay, well, are they, what types of calls are those three referees going to make? So, and I know for a fact, they went in going, we can foul Australia 50 times. We're only going to get 20 calls, which was really interesting. And 
Um, at times they played the the body, not the ball. And there's the different clips of that. And it, it was such an interesting uh, way to view how to scout and prepare um, that I've never never looked at before. And I'm, I'm sharing, obviously, with the basketball community now. Um, so, again, there's there's a little bit of involvement there. The psychology of it, all that sort of stuff is is changing all the time. And I, I think um, some lessons learned uh, how we can possibly use a few of those things in, in for Basketball Australia and, uh, and, and move forward. Herbie, firstly, thank you so much for your honesty. I think that speaks not only to how coaches at any level can review not only their performance, but their personal uh, performance. And it's about that courage and comfort in yourself to be honest with what you could do better, what was outside of your control, what was inside your control. Obviously, one of the key responsibilities of any coach, regardless of, of level, is, is player welfare and preparing the players for both the what success can bring, but also what disappointment can can bring how have you and did you help the athletes develop that mental resiliency to handle the pressure situations I, I can tell you firstly from from my part losing that Marley game I it was horrendous for me like I you you walk away going wow what 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 do I do now what what's and you could tell the group uh complete loss of loss of confidence we'd we played that game against France and lost on the buzzer. Um, if anyone saw that call, I, I encourage you to go watch the end of the game. I can't, won't comment more than that. But to, to go through that, then have to turn around and play Mali, um, lose the game against Mali. Um, we, we ended up with a day off after that. It, what, what we did was we implemented some team building activities. We, we gave them some time off because obviously, again, they were cooked. Um, we pushed them to the point that um, the, a number of the starters in particular were fatigued. Um, and again, I, I take that on board and I did it. So um, I, I just expected to find another level and the, the group that had been playing well in the first two games, I kept them in that game. I kept them in the fourth quarter. And again, on me. But to then turn around and go, okay, we are now playing for nine to 16. We have to finish ninth. There's pride involved. There's green and gold. There's Opal's history. There's Gem's history. We can't finish lower than ninth. The, the pressure was enormous. And I think the work we did in terms of um, trying to build the team in the background, we, we did a few little activities as a group and had a little bit of fun and tried to create a fun element at training again. Um, it helped us. And I can tell you the first quarter against Brazil was 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 close to – it was quite bad. Like, it, and one of the one of the things that happened in our group was two of our bench players spoke up and said, "Hey, this you guys," and they they did it without the coaches in the room. Uh, and I encouraged it. They spoke up and said, "Hey, you guys have, have have kind of given up here." And what happened out of that meeting was tremendous. So the players drove it. And when you have that happen. Uh, it, it certainly helps what you're trying to do as a coach. And uh, those those two players need to be commended for that. And uh, to then build, go into our team building activities and try to rebuild uh, a, a team to get on the floor against Brazil, who are very talented, um, was tough. And I, I, I had individual meetings with each person and spoke to them. And 
uh, we, we went about it and we went at about as a team of 12 again and uh, rotated and tried to get people in the game and things like that. And um, the result was good. Like no matter who you play at a world cup level, it, it doesn't matter if you don't play there, your best um, you're going to come unstuck. And even when we played Argentina, we beat them by 45, but the first quarter was brutal. It, if we hadn't have handled the physicality, if we hadn't have done those, like being able to to play against that pressure, we, we would have come unstuck. So um, to then play Brazil uh, was, was tremendous. Egypt, a little different. Um, and But then like that final game against Germany was, okay, this could have been our crossover. This could have been the team we were playing to play into the, or to go through the quarters into the semis. And because France had taken, or so Germany had taken France to overtime in the quarterfinal game. So we took it as a, we, we treated it as a final. And to the girls' credit, uh, I, I thought they played particularly well. Um, we, we absolutely evolved as a team. Uh, and if, if you take away that one game, you take away that one game against Mali, we we realistically should have finished, I believe, in the bronze medal game, in the bronze medal game. Unfortunately, we didn't. And again, that is on me as the coach. But I don't believe we we were in a situation of beating the USA or Spain, given the level of physicality, um, given the the level of athlete, and um, I, I suppose the the physical way in which they played. I, I don't believe we would have been competitive in that gold medal game. But I, I we certainly underachieved and should have been uh, in the bronze medal game, in my opinion. With the team tactics that you've talked about. One of our previous guests was player that, that you've coached, Georgia Koopmans, and Georgia was very complimentary of you and said one of your greatest strengths was that you recognize players for things that make holistic differences to their performance. And she said that you created this culture in your environment that both unites and elevates the performance of individuals from all walks of life and backgrounds and all, with that group that you're talking about that you took away and then with the group that you have of, at the COE, you're pulling them from all the states and territories. So you talked about having that really short window, but even in your like day-to-day -day job during the year, you're having to bring in these players that have different stories, different basketball histories. How do you go about unifying them into the Australian way, for want of a better word? Yeah, I, I think some of that was lost on the recent Gems trip. I think uh, we, again, in 2021, I, I guess I, in some ways COVID was bad. In some ways for me, COVID was good. I got to spend four, four weeks before we went away to the Worlds with, with pretty much the entire team. And that made a world of difference. Um, to have the three sessions... For a few things not to go the right way, um, for fatigue to set in, I, I guess people start to question, um, well, what what's actually going on here? Should am I am I where do I sit in the the scheme of the team, etc. And to try and draw that back after Mali was, was certainly a challenge. And I, I think we became more unified after that loss uh, to Mali, but I don't know whether we were quite unified before that. And in my experience, again, I've, I've been away uh, five, six trips with Australia. Um, I've never had that issue before. So for me, it was a 
absolute challenge to try and get this team to play and perform well. And um, I think there were, there were players that were trying to be leaders and maybe they weren't delivering their message the right way. There was players uh, like a, a little group trying to, trying to form and direct what we should be doing, but we, we weren't quite there as a team. And, and that was part of the result against Mali. The day-to-day training environment here at the COE is a little different. And um, I, I think one of the things recently, we've, we've just had four new scholarship holders come in and I'll, I'll speak about that. Um, in selecting that, we, we picked a couple of players with a high level of energy and we, we've trained this week. And one of the things that I always talk about as a coach is when the coaches don't need to drive effort, uh, success will follow. So when it's player driven, when the athletes are taking control of it, uh, you start to evolve as a team. And I, I was lucky in Geelong. I've been lucky previously with a variety of different teams as that that's happened. But the COE here, those the four new kids coming in has just changed the the, the environment that that we're training in right now. And um, to see yesterday we're at training and a, a player missed a block out to see Shafron Shields step up and say, everyone on the baseline. Uh, it didn't come from us, it came from them. And they did it four or five times. Um, so we can now form habits out of the daily training environment, improve that daily training training environment. We can drive blockouts, but when the players start taking responsibility for it and the holistically, they're like jumping to the ball, um, def- how they're defending screens, how they're blocking out. All the, if they start to take accountability for that and drive it from within the the actual team, the whole thing evolves. And I, I think that's a lesson for most coaches. And one of the one of the things that I've learned and I'm I'm trying to become better at at, at this moment is sometimes I overcoach. Sometimes I'll drill down. I want this. And every possession I'll stop it. Bang, bang. And what I've what I've now is is stop it and ask a question. Well, why did you make that decision? Okay, what else could you have done instead of making that decision? And start to think about the second or third position behind that decision-making. Okay, I've made that decision, but what else will evolve out of doing what you did? And um, I think the, this generation of athlete, to me, um, you you need that buy-in, you need that discussion. Um, you need to in, in, improve each player by them taking ownership over it a little bit more. And uh, I think, again, offensively, defensively, um, when you when you include... Uh, their thought processes in it. And I'm not saying do it every single possession or anything like that. But when you start to take an interest and start listening as a coach, it, it certainly helps the daily training environment and the players buy into what you want. And George is a terrific, terrific human being. And uh, I, I saw a recent, I think she was on the shooting free throws in the the uh, the Boomers game the other night. And I, it, was, it was so nice to see her out there doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think... If you want to make a holistic difference to to players, start having genuine discussions with them and talk to them about where they're going, what they're doing, and and that's something I'm trying to evolve right now uh, in my coaching. She is uh, she is a genuine jet, that is for sure. I can't believe we've we've gone for over half an hour and we haven't actually got to what the core tenant of the the whole thing that. I'm really passionate about, and I love hearing you speak about. So we'll 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 touch on that, and we we'll, we might set the record for the longest building better basketball podcast <laughs> in history. It's referred 
to by our friends at the Talking Split podcast is the master skill. And I know shooting is the the skill of basketball that's very close to your heart. And I had the pleasure of hearing you speak about it in, in Geelong at one of the national championships. And we could do a whole podcast series about it. And one day we might even. Can you tell the listeners, I guess, in a snapshot, what it is that you've been doing since you started at the COE with shooting and what a couple of the things that you could uh, orally describe, I suppose, to the community that they could focus on on improving in that space? Yeah, I, I think uh, when, when I arrived, I, I said to Peter, there's one thing that I'm determined to do, and that's um, lift up the shooting percentages of what we do here at the COE and um, look at style and technique and form. And one of the things that I'll, I'll speak quickly and I, um, our shot percentages at uh, the Worlds, I think we were third overall and shooting percentage, which is we, we previously we've been well and truly in like between 25 and 30%. This, this time we were way ahead and we were the top team at uh, the World Cup for three-point percentage. So um, I'm not saying that's a direct result of what we've done here at all, but uh, there's certainly some improvement being made. Um, what I would say in terms of shooting is, I think the use of video is crucial. Um, we we started with that point and the four new players coming in, I'm, I'm getting them in on Sunday uh, this weekend. And what we do is basically we do a video analysis of their shot form. So front, side, back, side, just stationary. And we, we start to look at, um, I call it shooting lines. So uh, I'm, I'm an index finger person through my shooting eye. Uh, other people are middle fingers. Some people are both fingers. Um, what you do, stick to it and evolve it and, and sell it as best you can. But a lot of times there's no right or wrong way to teach a kid how to shoot. So one of the things is it's, it's not uh, one size fits all. It's, it's basically we're looking to try and evolve that one player and try and uh, look at how we can improve their shot. For example, uh, Jay Crook, young young girl that's just come in from Albury, she she brings a ball across from uh, her right side to her left eye. So already I've started. I said, okay, and we're going to video it and show her. I just want her to evolve and get her index finger through a line of vision as she's shooting it, and basically create those shooting lines. So square to the rim, square shoulders, square feet. And what I say, a lot of people obviously turn their body and line their shoulder up and everything like that with their shot. I like to start with feet square. Uh, once they can do that, then we start to evolve and and look at each person. And if there's a slight twist and things like that, it's about each person, not 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 um, again, not not trying to just go, okay, you must do it this way because the book is written that that way. It's it's more what will help, what will work. Um, Where's the point of release for each person? Um, but I'm, I'm pleased. Like I, I look at six eight Sarah Portlock. She can now shoot the three. She doesn't quite have the confidence to do it, but she's getting there. So I, I would say the biggest biggest point for me is treat everyone as an individual when you're teaching shooting. Um, develop some shooting lines. Develop um, a, a process involved with it, and then then build that process to game like shots to contested shots and try to put players in game-like situations once they've evolved their form. Yeah, one of the key things that I took away from your presentation, that everyone, regardless of if you're a parent listening to this, 
just think about is their shooting action safe as in is it going to cause them an injury or something moving forward is it consistent as in do they do the same thing every time and is it effective because ultimately you're not shooting to miss you want to be shooting to score at a percentage that is suitable to your level of ability i suppose and one one thing i i talk izzy borlays who i think is going to be an absolute sensation in the WNBL this year and beyond i, I don't know her ceiling's huge for the opals etc one thing she she injured her back uh so her lower back was sore so all we did was look at her shooting technique and she was arching her back every time she shot it so she's lifting her body early we actually modified that six weeks out from the tournament and basically created like a just a, a little bit of a, a safer um the way she lifted her body a little bit safer and uh, it it worked um she went eight of ten from the three point line in one game and um i i it's it, but it didn't come from me it came from her she her willingness to listen to the coach and take on board advice and then implement what she felt and my process was to facilitate that not go you must do this it, it was more facilitation and when she bought into it we we got success straight away so yeah we with the all the evolving tactics and strategies that we've talked about for the people that are listening and simply the act of listening they are improving themselves and you've talked about how you use Lono the same way I do as just someone that you can just talk about anything with and he's always he's the the master of always reading a book or seen an article or watched a video or something what are some other of the other ways that you stay updated on the latest trends and innovations and and resources in basketball coaching absolutely uh watching youtube absolutely watching games so i think the for me at my level um i i'll jump online and watch the the fiba european championships the under 16s under 18s um the asia championships um and you you pick things up out of there, and what I, what I say in that is, uh, the physicality level at the World Cup this year was at, at another level to what I've ever seen and experienced. And I think watching YouTube, watching the games, you don't really pick that up until you're actually there and see it. So, um, I I hope in the future we can we can afford to send these kids on a tour to Europe prior to. Um, and you, you go back to the 1993 gems they played over 100 games um and only lost to a to a to a senior team and you look at that over over a four-year window um their preparation compared to our current preparation is huge but there's no I, I don't know how you do it without the funding without the resources and um basketball australia about well above their weight in terms of what we do and how we do it and uh, Fong, Michelle, Peter, all the, the the staff in the office there do an absolutely wonderful job. So um, keeping teams on the floor and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think just just making sure you you go out and find a coach um, that can help you, that you can bounce ideas off. YouTube, watching those games um, certainly helps me. And, and that's how I try to evolve each day um, by, by doing that. The last question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, Herbie, if you could ask any coach in any sport, whether with us or passed on a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be? Uh, I I, uh, I hold Guy Malloy in very high regard. Um, and I guess my question to him is, 
like just driving the daily training environment uh, of success each and every day. Um, how he stays motivated, energetic uh, to ensure the daily training environment is at the highest standard. I think Guy does a wonderful job of the detail involved in the game. And I think um, that that's sort of a question that I, I, I thought of and, He's very into detail. He's very into making sure the daily training environment is at a higher level. And uh, that would that would be my question. Thanks so much, Herbie, for your time and your honesty and, and coming on and uh, talking about the tournament because I'm sure there's people listening that are uh, really engaged in the success of our age group teams. And then there'll be people listening that perhaps weren't aware of the result, but they'll be able to take the experiences and the learnings that you've taken out of that disappointment and and reflect on similar situations they've had in, in tournaments and in competitions and in, and in matches. So I really appreciate you, uh, I guess, putting it all out there and, and sharing both the positives and the, and the negatives of being involved at, at that representative level. So Thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, at the national championships again in in the upcoming months. No, thanks, Neil. I I, I appreciate it, and yeah, it, it it was like I like I mentioned, one of the most humbling experiences of my life. You you walk into that tournament, and you 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 feel like you're ready. You feel like you, and it just didn't go to plan, unfortunately. And it's heartbreaking. I'm shattered. I can tell you it representing the green and gold is um, one of the things that I hold dearly to my heart. And unfortunately uh, the result didn't go my way. And, but now I've got to evolve and improve and, and, and keep, keep getting better as a coach so that I can deliver the daily training environment that's needed here at the COE. Thanks Herbie. No worries. <laughs>